Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. So we are in this series called Transformed, and, and if you haven't been able to keep up, it's all online. You can go tune in there to the podcast. But last week, we talked about how we have an active part in cooperating with the Lord to be transformed. We're not earning it. That's an that's a opposite of grace, but we do have effort. We do have an active participation in our transformation into maturity. And, and we specifically want to participate in the area of renewing the mind. Right, because that's what leads to transformation, and we we've been talking about that for a few weeks. And this morning, I want to start off talking about uh, some of the joys of home ownership. Uh, I have not uh, for for the last six years. I've only owned a house for about one year. Uh, we we used to live in a parsonage, and it was a blessing from the Lord. And and now we get to own our own home, and and I I enjoy that uh, in part, m- mostly. Uh, yeah, the, the mortgage payment's not that great, but everything else is good. But I will say, uh, I love getting to have a domain that's mine. And I can decide what to do with it as I will. If I want to make a compost pile, I can make a compost pile. If I want to build a slide, I can do that, right? How many, uh, like, obviously, we kind of have to do that limited on our weekends, all right? How many of you are DIY weekend warriors? Would you raise your hand and you just say, yeah, I work hard on the weekends on my house. You do your projects. Yeah, there's a few of us in here. Others of you don't even know what DIY means. Do it yourself is what it means. But, but for those of you who have been able to have the blessing of owning a home and you've started a project, right? You've, you have this vision for something that's just gonna benefit your family and you have this project and you're gonna, you go to start it and you're, you're already like a few minutes in and you're realizing... I don't have what I need. That's frustrating, right? So then what do you have to do? Where do you go? You go to the home store. You go and you purchase the, the, the thing that you need and you gotta pay for it. And then you come back home and you start working on it and you realize, got the wrong thing. So you have to go back to the home store and get the right thing. And then you go home and you start working. And then a few minutes later into the project, you realize, I don't have all the tools I need. So then you have to go back to the home store, but then when you arrive, you get there and you realize they've been closed for five minutes. And now you have to wait until the next weekend because you know it's hard to do it during the week. And so after one project that hasn't been completed, you've gone to the home store like three, four, maybe five times in a single day just to be able to get a project done and you haven't finished it. And it's frustrating. It's sometimes annoying, right? Because I gotta tell you, Yes, that's happened with my home, but I gotta tell you, I've, I've been frustrated with what seems to be the same thing in my own growing into maturity like Christ. So if, if my growth into Christ's likeness is that home project, right? There are times where it feels like I don't have all I need. I'm missing something. Especially whenever you feel like you're stuck in this habit of sin, and over and over again, you find yourself going back to it. And, and after a while, you're like, okay, clearly, clearly I'm, I don't have everything that I need to have in order to, to find victory here. Like we, 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 I, I found myself in this mentality sometimes. At times, it felt like I'd never grow out of certain habitual sins after, after really trying to work really hard in that area. So let me ask this. Is that how you feel? 
in your current desire to grow into Christ's likeness? Does it feel like, man, I've been working hard at this. I've gone to the home store and I guess they're closed because I've not been getting the tools that I need because if I did, then I wouldn't be stuck in this or stuck where I am as I am. Guys, if, if, if that's you today, then, then, then you're not alone. If you're wondering if you have all the tools that you need, like if you ever feel like, man, I'm lacking, I'm, not, I'm missing something. I, clearly, I don't have everything I need to grow in Christ-likeness. Maybe you're not equipped for spiritual growth. Maybe you don't think that you're equipped and, and, and for, for transformation, whether that's the whole of you or even the specific part that's so annoying, it's like a bruise. So what we want to consider today is just how equipped are we for being transformed? What all have we been given? Do we have everything that we need? And if so, what is it? That's what we're gonna be studying today. And praise the Lord, God has given us such a, a deep well to pull from when we're looking at, at 2 Peter chapter 1. So I'm gonna just explain real quick what's going on here before we start reading in verse two. Obviously, we know 1 Peter is written by who? Peter. Second Peter is also written by? And that's where we're at, Second Peter. And, and, and Peter's writing to people who have basically, it just says they've believed upon Jesus. They've received Jesus by faith. And, and ironically enough, if you were to read through his whole letter and know some of the cultural backgrounds, you would know that he is very broadly painting a gospel stroke, uh, it, touching down in co- cultural contexts like the Hellenists, uh, the, the Greeks, the Jews. Like he's, he's pretty broad in his, his references to things. And, 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 and we get into this letter, we're only gonna start reading in verse two. And it says this, we're gonna go all the way down to verse 10. I'm reading from the CSB says this, may, the grace, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Verse five, or sorry, verse, verse four. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. As our main verse is just going to be verse three. I know we read a lot, but I'm just going to dive deep into verse three. And it's this incredible statement of truth that has radically changed my life and my understanding of God. And I'm praying it does the same for you as well. Verse three, God's divine power has given to us everything required 
for life and godliness. Amen? Amen. Talk about a verse to memorize, to meditate on, to be convinced of when the darkness of despair in your spiritual walk just sweeps in and your hopelessness abounds. What a verse. So when when we're convinced that we're stuck where we are, as we are, when we can't seem to find the way forward in our growth in Christ because we think we're insufficiently resourced. No, 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 no. God's word, plain as day, comes out and just slaps us in the face and says, uh-uh, you can't believe that because God has given us everything required for life and godliness. Boy, oh boy, what a truth. So real quick, need to do some Greek work here It says he has given us. The Greek word there means to present, to bestow as if it's a gift, a precious thing. And and it's in the perfect passive participle. Obviously passive means we didn't do anything to get it. Perfect means that God gave it to us at a time in the past, finished the work of giving it to us with continuing benefits today. So, So in other words, when you came out of your spiritual grave, you came out with everything required already. He's not waiting to give you more. He perfectly completed the work of equipping you for life and godliness. Back when you came out of your spiritual grave and came to life in Christ. So it says that he gave us everything we need from God. Everything we need. Circle the word need or required or pertaining to right in your Bible. Does it say that that he gave us everything we might like? I wish. If I can be honest, I really wish that he did. I I, I honestly find myself at times in in my pursuit of Christ saying, hey, couldn't you have just like made me perfectly mature like Christ when I was born again back then? God, wouldn't that have saved us both a lot of headaches? What if that, I mean, born as a fully mature baby, done. I don't got to grow anymore. But no, he says he's given us everything required for life and godliness, not given us full godliness at being born again, though we can reach it at the day of Christ. So let's take a look at these two. He says life and godliness. He's given us everything required for life and godliness. We're going to ask a few questions. What do these mean? How are they related? Why are they linked together? Let's start with life. Say the word life. That didn't sound very like life. Try again. Say the word life. life. There, you're alive. All right. So life can refer to obviously like this whole thing in here that's beating. Like I've got a physical life. Like I'm, I'm alive right now. Right? You're alive. I'm assuming you're alive right now. Right? It can refer to our physical, natural life that everyone is born into. But the natural life is not what Paul has or Peter has in mind here. Right? The reason why I know that is because out of the 135 times this specific Greek word is found in the whole New Testament, only three of them refer to the physical life. All the rest of them, all the 132 left, refer to a spiritual life. They refer to a spiritual eternal 
life, right? That's the word we often find in front of it, eternal life. It's a, it's a blessed life that, that finds its way deep into our soul, deep within and satisfies our inner longings because God himself has gone deep within our heart and set up his tent for the rest of eternity. And guys, when we think about eternal life, I, I may have mentioned this last week, I think, when we think about eternal life, we think that that's something that we're waiting for. Yes, there's this life after life, but, but we talk about this life in the sense that, well, oh, I'm gonna have it one day, right? When I die and, and I'm called up into glory and I'll fly away, that's when I'll find this life. But that's not what scripture says at all. This life is one that we received the moment we believed upon Jesus. Jesus himself says that in John 5, verse 24. He says this, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Notice the tense. Notice what, uh, how, how they're referring to. They already have it. Eternal life is already given to you. You're not waiting for it. You already have this life. We have it when we believe we've already passed from death to life. So in one sense, if you think about it, there are people in the world who are living but aren't alive. There are people who have a heartbeat, but they're spiritually dead. As Ephesians 2 would affirm, it's a hard reality. There are people who are living but aren't alive. And brothers and sisters, this life that I'm talking about, not the physical, but this spiritual, eternal, blessed life, I gotta tell you, I mean, if, so if you're here and you're like, you're, you're like intrigued by Christianity, but you're still skeptical of some things or, or you're just hard, like I'm just here because my mom brought me or I'm here because I, I didn't really wanna be here, but my wife brought me, whatever it is, right? Either way, if you're here and you're skeptical or if you're here and, and, and you've believed upon Jesus for a while, maybe you can agree with this, guys. This eternal blessed life is the best life. When we talk about living the good life out in the world, they don't know what that means. They think they are. But when we find this life, we've found the best life. Guys, this is the life that Jesus said he came to give us abundantly. He said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And he did it by laying down his own. This is the life that, that, that uh, this is why Jesus himself is called the bread of life who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So, and it also says that if we come to this bread of life, he promises that we will never hunger or thirst again. Obviously that doesn't mean physically because I can actually feel my stomach growling right now, right? I probably need to eat some of that pizza. Don't forget. Right? But, but it's, it's talking about the inner cravings, the core emptiness that we, we try to fill with so many things out in the world and it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't last long enough, it doesn't work. But no, we find this life and we're satisfied in our inner longings. This life is life to the full. It's what satisfies the soul and the only way to have it is to have Jesus. Guys, I can tell you that I never knew how amazing this life could be 
before Jesus came and triumphed over my heart. I never knew. I was actually very skeptical because I just saw this life that Jesus brought for us and won for us was something that was just burdened and, and burdened down by all these commands that I didn't see as being beneficial for me or, or, or actually attractive. But then Jesus woke me up from the dead, gave me eyes to see, and now that I see all these commands, I see a pathway to an abundant life. As this really is an amazing life that Jesus gives us. And if we have Jesus, we have all we need for this spiritual, deeply satisfying, eternal life, now and forever. So he's given us everything required for life, and he's given us everything required for what else? Godliness. Let's say that again. One, two, three. Godliness. Godliness is short for godlikeness. And oftentimes when we think of godliness, especially out in the world, they might translate it or, or think of it as the word pious or piety. That's a fun word to say, piety. And, and, and that word in general gets used across the board for religious. So that word comes with a bit, bit of baggage culturally because people don't want religion, right? And, and to some extent, sure, but, but when we talk about godliness, we're not just talking about being a religious person. The Bible doesn't refer to it that way, so let's just stick to how the Bible uses this word. And the, it's a compound Greek word, meaning it's, it's a prefix with the main word put together. And the word literally means right-directed worship. Well-directed reverence. That's godliness. Well-directed reverence. So in the, in the Old Testament, this is it, when the Septuagint went to translate Hebrew into Greek, they used this word for the fear of the Lord. Think about it. That's rightly placed awe and wonder and reverence. Now, this godliness, this right-directed worth-ship, when it's in us, can't just stay in us. It overflows into worship's best friend, obedience, right? It overflows into that. The internal overflows to the out, external, right? So, so when, when, we, when we start to become in awe of God and the gospel, what we find is that there's this uncontrollable, effortless overflow of transformation on the outside. So our words start to change. Behaviors start to get reshaped. Reactions are refined. Habits are healed. All because God's beautiful perfections are ever before us and we can't help but be in awe inwardly. So in one sense, when we're talking about living the transformed life, when we're talking about like growing up into maturity like Christ's fullness, another way to describe it is to be godly. Another way to describe it is to have rightly placed reverence, just like Jesus did. Rightly directed worship. Now, there can be a problem here though, right? 
And it's kind of some of the baggage that comes with this word godly or or pious, right? The problem is, the the baggage is, that there can be people who, who have an appearance of godliness. But scripture says that they don't have any actual spiritual power backing that godliness. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So there's a way that people can kind of look kind and loving and generous and and thoughtful, but that's not energized by anything from the Lord. It can be energized out of motives from like self uh, praise and pride. It might be energized from insecurities, right? You know what? Scripture also says that you can you can have a form of godliness, and false teachers can use it in a way for material gain. False teachers who. I would say, distort the gospel into maybe a prosperity gospel and they look godly and they sound godly, but they're using everything for their own material benefit. But Paul says in response to that, that godliness with contentment, that's what's great gain. Why? Because it holds benefit for this life here and in the life to come. And guys, God is saying here through Peter, that he has given us everything required, not for the phony godliness or the appearance of godliness, but for true godliness within the soul. He's given us everything required to be inwardly, rightly directing our reverence and awe to God that would overflow into an abundant life. It's amazing. So together, life and godliness are really just describing the transformed life that we're after. It's the maturity that we're looking to grow up into. And how are they related? We talked about what each one means, but how are they connected? Guys, I have to tell you, they are so tightly woven together that you can't really separate them at all, right? They're linked together. Like, so godliness is linked to life because you have to have spiritual life first before you can be anything about godly, right? You, you can't try to have true godliness when you're spiritually dead. But not only that, what would life really be? Like eternal bliss on rainbows and unicorns riding around everywhere if we didn't have godliness, right? What, what, what would life be? How abundant would it truly be if it isn't in process of being transformed into godliness, right? Think about it. Jesus was the perfection of both life and God. That's who we're being made into. So life and godliness just have to go hand in hand. And the fact that God has given us all we need for them, it amazes me. And I pray that it amazes you. And guys, we're not done. It gets even cooler. Life and godliness, God has given us everything required for them. So then we have to ask the next question then. What has he given us? What has he given us for life and godliness? What do we have now complete access to that benefits us for life and godliness? Well, can I just take a quick second and tell you what scripture doesn't say he's given us? (laughs) Because I think it'd be important to at least start there and, 
and maybe address something while we're doing that. Scripture never says that God has given us the freedom to change our circumstances and our environment to help us grow in godliness. And what I, what I don't mean is like which church you go to or things like that. What I do mean is where you find yourself in life right now, there are so many factors that you don't have any control over. And there's so many things in this world that are designed to wreck your faith, to, to, to take away from you life and godliness. And they're designed in such a way to ruin that. And sometimes what we as believers think we ought to do, the best thing for us would be escape that environment, pull out of it, get away from it, so then we might be able to grow. Scripture doesn't give us that authority. All right, God, hey, this person's, my boss is bugging the mess out of me and he's making me do things that aren't godly. Can you just get rid of him? Right? I, hope, I hope Debbie never says that about me. Like we, 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 we think in ways where we, it's the environment that needs to change because that's what's keeping me from true godliness. As that's just baloney. That's not true. The reason why, do you believe me? The reason why, just look at history. Let's just take Apostle Paul for a second. The dude, when he wrote some of his letters, was chained, in chains, chained to a Roman praetorian guard, awaiting a trial before the emperor of Rome that could end with him being impaled on a stake and fed to lions and tigers in the Colosseum. It's a pretty rainy day in life, isn't it? What does he do about that environment? What does he do about those circumstances? Does he ask the church, God, hey, can you pray to the Lord that I would be able to get out of these chains, that I would be able to escape this environment because it's really not helping me grow? No, what does he do? He says, no, he says, to, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I count everything as rubbish, as garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He also, in Philippians, prays for the church and he asks the church uh, to pray for him because what he's in right now, the circumstances that he's in, has served to advance the gospel. That's counterintuitive to a comfortable, easy Christian life. God doesn't give us the authority or tell us that when we aren't growing in godliness, it's the environment that needs to change. Take Paul, for example, or, or maybe if we go to communist China, if you ever read the book Heavenly Man, it's about a, a, a Christian brother named Brother Yun, and goodness, that dude, despite all the adversity of his faith, everything in the environment of communist China is designed to wreck Christianity, and he flourished and saw God do amazing things. Or if you wanna, if you wanna go a little bit even further back, look into Nazi Germany, right, with, with people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, where Christianity was outlawed, treasonous, and, or Corrie ten Boom, who came alongside strong believers of, of Christ who, who were spiritually mature and in some of the most hostile environments for their faith. You can go to modern day Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, find believers there who aren't asking the Lord to take them out of their hostility. God doesn't ask us to ask him to change our circumstances to help us grow. It's not the circumstance's fault. 
What then does he give us? What does he give us? Well, that's where we're gonna go next. And, and what I'm gonna do now is I'm, we're gonna kind of bounce through some of the verses that we read earlier. Uh, and we're gonna draw some things out. There's five main things from this passage that God has given us for life and godliness. And I'm just gonna say the first one, which just sounds like a little kid answer. Like, hey, what, hey who's, who's the best? I know, Jesus, right? I'm not trying to give you the Sunday school answer, but one of the top resources, tools that we have for life and godliness, what does that say? God, good reading, by the way. Golly, we get God. That's the whole point of the gospel. Not so we can escape hell and get into heaven. We get God back. We're reconciled back to him. We get him as a resource for our life and godliness. Look at verse three. Obviously it says God's divine power, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of God who called us by his own glory and goodness. Whoa. He's given us power. His power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the conduit of knowing God. When we talk about knowledge of him, we're not intellectualizing religion or intellectualizing Christianity. No, this is, this is actually a personal relationship with our father in heaven. It's not an intellectual agreement. It means personal acquaintance. We get God. And as we're relating with him, as we're in conversation with him, as we run to him in, in doubts and fears and we go to him in praise and worship, we actually find ourselves being changed by his beautiful perfections. We get God as a resource for our growth in life and godliness. What better resource? What else would we need? <laughs> God is sufficient. And what's crazy is there are passages in scripture. You can read a sermon by Charles Spurgeon where he, he expounds on how every person of the Trinity is involved in our sanctification and in our transformation and growth into Christlikeness. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit all actively involved in our transformation. First resource we get from God is God himself. Amen? So that's the first thing. The second thing, Second gift that God has given us for life and godliness is God's power. Can you say God's power? God's power. Guys, isn't this how we got everything in the first place? <laughs> Look at the beginning of verse three. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Right? So, so the same power, guys, the same power that brings dead people back to life, the same power that can use a single word and out of that word speak a universe into existence where time, space, and matter all perfectly equally together cooperating down the timeline of, of humanity, of the universe. That same power is for us. It is for our life and godliness. And it would make sense because as, as one commentator put it, only God can make people godly right? Only God can make people like himself. So we have God, we have God's power, but let's keep going. We got number three, God's promises. Can we read that together? One, two, three, God's promises. Look at, look at verse four. Look at verse four. By these, 
In other words, by God's glory and perfection, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may share in the divine nature. So we get these promises for the purpose or so that we can partake in godliness. So according to Herbert Lockyer, in his book, All the Promises of the Bible, God approximately made about 7,487 different promises to humanity. <laughs> now, I haven't personally counted, so I'm just gonna have to take his word for it, but, but here, Peter specifically says that all 7,487 promises of God towards humanity help us share in the divine nature. We become more like God. So like promises where God is promising to supply all our needs as we seek first his kingdom or the promise of, of the incomprehensible peace that we get when we bring our anxieties and, and fears to the Lord in prayer or, or, the, or the promise that, that God is working all things together for good for all who are his children or the promise that the work that he started he will bring to completion on the day of Christ. And so many more, so many precious and very great promises that he's given us so we can share in godliness. And then we get to fourth one, God's virtues. Can you say that with me? One, two, three, God's virtues. Look at verses five through seven. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Don't say that with one breath. So, so we, we, we put in effort to supplement or literally means to cooperate with God and what God is doing by intaking things that are good, like intaking knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Guys, we wouldn't have access to any of these outside of Christ anyways, and now we have access to these and we can receive them into our hearts. And not only that, here's a fifth thing that we get, and it's God's gospel. Can you say that? One, two, three. God's gospel, his good news. Look at verse nine. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Isn't that part of the gospel? That our sins have been removed away from us. So in all, in all of this we have with us, we've been given access to the good news that our past sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west so that we can no longer be condemned before God because of them. And as we recall and as we remember this gospel, this good news, goodness, we find ourselves growing in godliness more and more, which is why you hear the phrase, hey, preach the gospel to yourself every day because we ought to preach the gospel to our souls. Guys, these are just five things that, that I could kind of pick out from this passage and they're kind of, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're good, but there's so many more as well. There's so many more elsewhere. Like we could keep going. We've got God's word, right? This whole thing, right? Designed for our growth. We've also got God's people. You guys, you're designed for my growth. I'm designed for your growth. You're designed for your growth, right? We also have God's armor, right? We've been given God's armor to sufficiently protect us from the enemy and equip us for everything we need. Like we've got all these things and we could keep going and going and going. But the main truth that I want you and I believe God wants us to be convinced of today that we need to believe is this. We are sufficiently supplied for the transformed life. 
We are sufficiently supplied. Can we read this together? One, two, three. We are sufficiently supplied for the transformed life. Guys, we have all of these and much more at our disposal. So if you wanna circle back with me to that whole idea of a home project, you're working on a house project on a weekend. Picture that. If we truly have everything that we need for the project of our own growth, would we ever need to go anywhere else? Would we ever need a different message or different good news, different power? No. And we don't have to go anywhere else. We don't have to go to the home store to try to find something put out by man to help us grow. No, we are sufficiently supplied by God for the transformed life. These resources are all in the spiritual tool shed. You've got them. They're available to you. But the problem herein lies that that's kind of where they stay in a lot of our lives. We, we, we tend to lock up these resources in the, in the spiritual tool shed. So when we get together on Sunday mornings, goodness, we, 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 we agree, yeah, we've got them and we celebrate that we've got them. But when was the last time that you pulled that tool out and let God use it to cultivate life and godliness in you? Guys, if you, if you are doing projects enough around your house, you know it's not worth the time to try to just go put the tools back and they are, they're just piled up on the floor and you've been using them every day, right? It's the same thing for this. These ought to be well-worn in your life. We must be fully reliant upon these resources from the Lord at all times for our growth and transformation. But I, 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 I need to be honest with you about something. I shared a little bit about it at the beginning. It, it can be hard to believe this sometimes. There can be some times in our life where it's, it's a difficult thing to actually believe this is true. I mean, I've had, I've had moments in my life where I, I wasn't convinced this was true. Mainly, mainly, it was because I was stuck in the habits of sin and, and I was never ever really able to, to break free Guys, it, it is hard to be convinced that this is the truth when we see ourselves going back to the same spiritual vomit of our sin over and over and over again, knowing that we don't want it, we know how terrible it tastes and how disgusting and wicked it is, and yet here we find ourselves again. And, and then we repent by saying we won't do it again. A week, a month, a few months go by and we're back at it again. So then we start to think to ourselves, hey, am, I, am I missing something? Am I missing something? Because I, I must be. I'm spiritually stuck. Guys, when I was in that place, I, I, ran, I ran to a performance mentality where I thought that if I did some improvements in other areas, then, then that would kind of just equip me for the things I needed in a specific area of habitual failure. So the better I did, the better I do, the more God will give me to grow, the more grace. And then when I didn't grow in that particular area, I blamed God for not giving me everything. That's pretty twisted, right? Just messed up. Is God hasn't held out on us. He's not 
stingy. He's not been stingy. He isn't being stingy. No, he has has lavishly, sufficiently supplied us with all we need for this abundant life and godliness. Isn't that what David agreed with when he prayed in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I lack nothing. In other words, I have all I need. Brothers and sisters, we have everything required for us to be godly in every single category of life. Godly husbands and wives, godly singles and godly widows, godly fathers and mothers, godly grandmothers and grandfathers, godly bosses and workers, godly co-workers, godly friends, godly brothers and sisters, godly politicians and musicians and business owners and, and godly in our finances and, and godly in our leisure time and in our attitudes and in our values and in what we celebrate and how we relate to people that are different from us, godly in every single way we have access to all the resources for that you are not a beggar before a stingy God you're a child of the king and God has sufficiently supplied you with everything required for life and godliness yes you may feel stuck in your growth but you really do have all that you need. I promise you. Actually, you know what? Forget about me. God promises you. Will you trust that truth today? Will you be convinced of this? No matter how old you are, even if you're getting to the older years of your life and you think, man, I just can't teach an old dog new tricks. Nope. God says you have everything you need for life and godliness. Don't give up. Don't resign yourself over and surrender to habitual sin that you can't get out of. Don't surrender to a mentality that would keep you wandering off into a works-based growth. No. We have, because of God's sufficient grace, been sufficiently supplied to grow up in this life and godliness. Will you trust this? Will you be convinced of this? Can you imagine how amazing life would be when we become convinced this is true? We would never wander off to depend on anything else for our growth except for God himself and all that he gives us. If you're in a place right now in life where you feel stuck and you would like to be prayed over, I would love to spend some time at the end of the service today praying over you. But for right now, I'm gonna pray for all of us and and then we're gonna sing a song of confession together in response. So let's, let's go before the Lord. Father, I thank you that your word is so dynamically true and so good that you, through your word, have given us everything that we need. And we're not just looking at our physical life here, we're looking at 
this desire within us, this longing within us to be more like Jesus because goodness, Jesus was so good. He is so perfect. And the way he loved people and how he cared and how he, he shepherded and, and invested and, and related to people and, and better yet, even how he related to you and everything that he desired to do for you and be for you, that's what we want to be and do. And so God, for all of us in here, our desire would be that you would take your truth and implant it deep within our souls so that when we are frustrated or get to a point where we're bogged down with where we're at in our walk with you, would you give us the assurance of your word that you have really given us everything required for life and godliness. We want to experience the abundant life. We want to be godly. And we thank you that you've given us all we need. So God, convince us of that this morning and let us see what the abundant life looks like when we've truly believed what you've said is true about us. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.